Ben Grifters. You're listening to the Leverage 10 Podcast. Thanks for joining us. As always, I'm your host, Kayla Dobson, and today I'm joined by the usual executive producer and co-creator of Leverage, John Rogers. Hey, everybody. And we're also joined by story editor and writer of this episode, Jeremy Bernstein. Hi. Thanks for being here. Uh, today, we're answering your Twitter and Facebook questions about episode 505, the Give Me a K Street Job, which is such a clever title. I have to say that again. <laughs> and <laughs> speaking of titles... Okay, that, was a, that was an arc like day. Yeah, that it, was, was... it was about 4.30 in the afternoon, and we were just talking about the title, and it was, we're jumping ahead on you, aren't we? Well, speaking of titles, Caravelle said, every time I read the title of this episode, I see something new. It's pretty masterful. Who thought of it? That was John. And it was all John. We were we were standing up there. It was about four thirty. I had been thinking like the rah 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 job, which just seemed a little. It seemed a little try. There was a little the bit of back room, and The forth. whole room was running at it. Yeah, everybody was taking us. And John was just sitting at the head of the table, very quietly. And you could just what was, see what him was in my thinking. hand? Was it yeah, <laughs> big thing Irish whiskey. Making <laughs> it. And he and he just there's a lull in the conversation, and very quietly he just goes, "Give me a K Street job." And there's another moment of silence. And then the whole room is just like, we're done. That's it. There's no way anybody's going to come up with anything better than that for the rest of the day, maybe the rest of the week. It was, so, it was, yeah. uh, it was, it was one of those nice moments. It just everyone was talking around it. Just, that's your job as the showrunner. A lot of times is to synthesize what's going on in the room. So, but that's that is that is elegant. Yeah. Oh. It's elegant. Is it's always that, elegance is always is nice. Is that how titles usually come about, or how do we? Give well, it's interesting. Things? Everyone has different things. I'm horrible with titles. I'm, I'm abysmal with titles. Uh, infamously, the name of every, most every spec movie ever written is just the noun that's the most important thing in the movie or, or something. Um, Transformers, well, there they are. <laughs> Look at them, they're right there. You know, the core, that's where we're going. Carrier, that's what it's set on. You know, it's really killing floor, that's where the killing happens. It's not hard. Um, everybody has their own little idiot. Little, when I worked on Cosby, um, because of just a quirk, I named my first um, script uh, Tempest Lucas because it was Hilton Lucas was Bill Cosby's character's name in the script, and it was about him getting old. But that became a running gag where all mine had faux Latin names. If you actually go back to the IMDb and look for the faux Latin names in the titles, <laughs> those are all my episodes. Where it became a thing where I didn't do it and they made me change it because they considered it like a good luck thing. Um, everybody has their own thing for, yeah. for titles, you know? We get, a, we, get a, we get a lot of that same, you know, last year the carnival job and, yeah. you know, a lot of them are just sort of like, here's the big noun for the episode and we'll yeah. just drop that in there. Yeah, the night, we, you know, first year was, it was, yours actually because you like Westlake as much as I do, your, yours tends to have kind of a little Westlake-y vibe on them. Yeah. Like, you, those are your pitches, you know. Um, and if you're not reading, by the way, they've just like churned out on Kindle, like all the Dortmunders. In like a new edition, all eleven, all the Dortmunder novels, which is a great Donald Westlake uh, series of a, comedy, um, comedy caper, comedy caper stuff. It yeah. really, you should go buy all of them now. Uh, so anyway, that's where the title came from: a, a bit, of, a bit of booze and a long afternoon. <laughs> so back to talking about this episode. Okay. Michelle asks: So when John was talking about an unexpected subject of a con in one of the episodes, was he talking about this one? Yes, absolutely. Everyone runs a room differently, and one of the joys of this room is you just come in. And you put out whatever half-assed idea you have. You are not, like, writing to me and Chris's mm -hmm. uh, dictums. And Jeremy came in, and it's like, cheerleading! And we went, there's no episode in cheerleading. <laughs> and he was insistent, and uh, he had, like, three really good solid pitches this year. And then brought in the stats, and the thing that really sold it is we had all the writers in the room, because I was admittedly still on the... Uh, uh, the fence. Not because I didn't think Jeremy wouldn't do a good job, but because it's it's a weird subject to do a con on. 
and Jeremy laid out like all the research of all the injuries and all the really horrible things that are in play and it was the first time the room has been that angry since first year mm-hmm. like just my god they're crippling their daughters <laughs> and it was it was like go go forth and then yeah there was obstacles the cheerleading itself did not sustain the whole episode and so it turned into our political farce mm-hmm. but you know yes this is the one that I, I never would have thought in a million years we'd do a con about mm-hmm. Well, kind of following up on that, John asks, the stats at the beginning, something like 3% of all female athletes are in cheer, but 66% of all female athlete injuries happen in cheer. Are those accurate? Oh, my God, are they accurate? Jer- don't <laughs> ask. Don't, Jeremy, do not, bring, do not bring question marks about facts to a Jeremy Bernstein script, my terrifying. friends. They're terrifyingly accurate. And by the way, that is, um, that's talking about catastrophic injuries. Oh. That's talking about, like, yeah, broken necks and deaths and, uh, and whatnot. It's, it's 66%... Uh, amongst female athletes, the next nearest contender is gymnastics at nine percent. Wow. So it is eight wow. times. You are eight times more likely to kill yourself cheerleading than doing gymnastics. That's uh, well. To yeah. be fair, kill or wind up on a ventilator. Yes. Yes. Uh, to be or, fair, yes. or like in a wheelchair. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, you know, as far as I, I was looking around at the numbers this morning and and just trying to refresh them in my head, it's really hard to do an apples to apples uh, comparison on a lot of these things just because of the numbers that are out there. Um, but uh, in terms of, of normal injuries, sprains and, and fractures and concussions and whatnot, as near as I can determine, cheerleading is about equivalent to football. Um, and I think, again, hard to do an apples to apples, but I think in terms of catastrophic injuries, I think cheerleading is worse than football. Good to know. So, <laughs> parents of daughters... Look, I mean, and that's the problem is it's, and we're talking about this, the evolution of it is your daughter is doing like at age seven or eight little tumbling exercises and you're like, oh, that's cute. And then she stays in her exercise, she stays in her program as kids do, they grow up in one hobby and, you know, eight years later, she's 25 feet in the air and uh, at no point did you without, think without enough of a map without a map yeah. and by the way and again it's it, it, we don't want to like hammer the v- many dedicated cheerleading coaches etc that are out there who care deeply about their cheerleaders and often themselves are not aware of these numbers yep. uh, it's the fact that they are not given the proper resources mm-hmm. to protect their athletes in a way that uh, well not athletes now because yes, we actually in the real world we lost <laughs> yes uh, in the real world there was just a court uh, court ruling that says that definitively at least at the was it federal court uh, it was a federal court but that was at the college level and the okay. good news there was a ruling that said that cheerleading is not a sport now the good news about that is that what that court ruling did was it said here is why we rule that cheerleading is not a sport which effectively laid out a roadmap for how cheerleading can become a sport and so there are organizations out there who are following that roadmap right now and basically trying to uh, to get NCAA recognition uh, as a sport, which, as we say in the episode, will kick in a lot of the safety standards. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not about to argue whether it is a sport or not. That's yeah. not my that's not my gig. I'm not going to start defining what sports are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trampolines in the Olympics. I'm not going to start having that discussion. Yeah. The best what, what, sport. But what I am going to argue is that uh, you should these safety standards should be uh, mandatory the way they are in the sports. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they should not there should not be the double standard that you have all sorts of rules in play for your other athletes, but this is just, okay, what the hell? Yep. You know, it's just that, that's the, the wrong part of it. And we had internal arguments on, on the staff and in production about whether or not cheerleading really should be qualified as a sport, but I think we can all agree that 66% of female <laughs> athletic <laughs> catastrophic injuries coming from any one thing is a good a 50% too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. at least. Of a problem. Yeah. So. 
So, Jeremy, can you talk a little bit more about what the research was like for this episode? Was it equal parts, bring it on viewings, and West Wing marathons? That's what I'm envisioning. Oh, he doesn't need West Wing. He's internalized all those episodes. <laughs> yeah, that, that one I had under my belt. Despite well, my banning of Sorkin in the room. <laughs> the research, the, no, it was, it was girls in wheelchairs. I mean, the research was kind of horrible. It was lots of these numbers. Uh, uh, people, yeah, Paul Gio actually got really upset. Like, when we were oh, watching yeah. the videos and stuff, Paul had to leave the room. There, he, he, was, he was genuinely upset by the footage. There's an episode of uh, Penn and Teller bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. I swear on this. Um, uh, that, that covers it. And that, that was sort of what brought this, this whole thing to my attention. When they, we did the location scout at the beginning of the year, there was an arena, which I think we used for the hockey episode, yes. that was having a cheerleading tournament like two weeks before we started production and so people were joking like we should do a cheerleading episode and I mentioned this to a friend of mine and my friend said actually you should do a cheerleading episode and here's why so she pointed me at this Penn and Teller episode and I watched that and you know did a little bit of corroborating research and came then that that's what what brought me into the room in it so the the Penn and Teller was the basis of it the other thing is that you know when you're a screenwriter working on on a major TV show when you call random people uh, and say, hi, I write for television. I'd like to talk to you about your area of expertise. They're usually very willing to talk to you. Nice. So I spoke to a couple of cheerleading experts. I spoke to uh, one of the, the cheerleading coach from, from uh, this organization that's following the roadmap. Um, I actually, I even called uh, the White House Budget Office to try to talk to them about some of the budget arcanum mm-hmm. uh, that, we, that we use for Hardison in the episode, except it turned out that they were very busy trying to actually pass the budget at the time that I was writing this, uh, and nobody uh, had time to get back to me. So, other than that, everyone's usually really good at. Uh, you call Ezra Klein. You could have called Ezra. I'll get you in touch with Ezra Klein. Ezra Klein from the Washington Post. That's your budget guy. That's yeah. You got to go to other pundits. That's the trick. It's, you know, go to the mid-level experts is always is always a good trick. If hey kids, if you're out there writing your script, do yourself a favor. <laughs> I know Chris isn't here for the do yourself a favor part of it. Well, and kind of moving on and starting to talk more about our characters in this episode, Mags MC asks, is Nate hanging back and trusting the team showing real character growth, or is it just another form of manipulation? Moving on, next question. <laughs> Not okay. kidding, moving on. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. So Carl asks... I'm, I'm seriously, these people will be freaked right the fuck out by the end of this summer. I'm waiting for the Twitter explosion. Yeah. Because uh, every now and then you hit a question, it's like, I'm in the room with the EP, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut on this yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> So Carl asks, Nate and Elliot had a back and forth this week about good people. This makes me wonder, does Nate even believe in good people? People that do the right thing simply because it's the right thing? I think he, I think he does. I mean, I think those are, by and large, our victims. I don't think he believes they're in Congress. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a wonderful Douglas Adams quote. I'm going to mangle it and, and, and paraphrase it from one of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books where he basically says, people who seek power are the last people in the universe who should ever be allowed to have it. Um, and I think I think that is something that Nate believes very firmly, and not just in terms of governmental power. I think you know most of the people who rise to positions of, of power in a very, any competitive world, be it business or whatever, somewhere those people probably stepped on somebody's face in order to do it. Except showrunners. Except showrunners. Showrunners, course, showrunners you rise no, through no. the power of your virtue and yes, love. Yes, sir. Um, no face stepping. That's interesting. Yeah, look, it's always interesting for the, like, okay, staff to answer a question, the EP to answer the question, because I'm always a little more cynical about Nate than everybody else. Really? But it might, you know what, it, be, it might be because uh, you can't help but have an enormous amount of transference with your number one by the time you hit <laughs> season five, and I've become much more cynical over the five years. So um, I think he believes there are good people. I think he's... Uh, I think it, it's it, to a great degree. I, I'd go a little harsher than Jeremy does. In um, he doesn't see a lot of them. He's got he's got the lantern held high, 
But uh, I think Nate's struggle is constantly fighting his internal cynicism. You know, he was an insurance investigator. You know the old joke about the insurance investigator? They're going by a field. There's a bunch of sheep shorn. The guy goes, oh, look, a bunch of sheep have been shorn. And the insurance investigator goes, on this side. And, <laughs> you know, and, so, and Nate still has that sort of investigator cynicism where even if he, some part of him wants to believe they're good people, some part of him tells him he can never believe it's good people. And that conflict, to a great degree, drives his personal arc over the five years. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think that's true of our victims, too? The way Nate feels? Um, I was a little more cynical until I sort of thought, like, but isn't that who he's helping every episode? That's interesting. I don't know if he... I don't know if... Good, I think, to him requires an agency they've been deprived of. Like, he believes they're good people, but that's not really operant in his moral framework. Right. It's more like, of course there are good people... But the question is, are there good people in the world I deal with? Right. So we'll restore you know, these people's agency and then find out. But if they're good, or, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a great degree. That's very cynical. It's, <laughs> you've met him. Yeah. True. <laughs> True. Uh, Pal is agreeing with John, by the yeah, way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so now talking about Elliot and Hardison, Tony asks, "I love the banter between Elliot and Hardison. I was just I was wondering how much of that is scripted and how much is ad libbed by the guys, specifically the tree frog bit." Uh, I wish I'd written the tree the frog, frog bit. bit. I, <laughs> I wish it. We yeah. had to. <laughs> my it was part of my possibly my favorite part of the shoot was that we had to do an extra take because he really just wanted to nail the thing with the with that with the hands. I mean, usually when you write banter for those two, usually we'll write two lines of back and forth and then they'll just go and it's, do it's five or seating. ten. It's basically yeah. like, here's the nub of it. And then a smart director like Frakes, and I actually got an, uh, a question from Scott Eric Kaufman, who, who was the guy who did the analysis of Van Gogh, who emailed mm -hmm. me, because he was asking for his class, talking about directing, like, does Frakes give more room to improv? And I'm like, Yes and no, because we tend to give him the comedy episodes anyway, but all at the same time, Frank's a very loose director, and there's a very positive energy on set. At the same time, he doesn't do a lot of takes, so you don't have a lot of time to play with it. Right. So it's kind of a chicken and egg type thing. But uh, yeah, with the boys, it's, okay, here's two lines. Let's see what you do with that. Yeah. And, and that, that's the trick, too, is, and I'll, someday I'll convince Kane, he's a really gifted comedic actor. Like, Absolutely. the place where he's famous and has a career for 50 years is in, like, comedy-leading man role. If I can, if I can just stop, get him to stop jumping in front of goddamn cars. <laughs> That'll never happen. No. Well, a lot of our Twitter and Facebook fans were talking about that look that Elliot threw towards Nate at the end. Could we get some insight from the two of you as to what you think he was thinking and feeling in that moment? He's feeling frustration, I'll tell you that. Um, you know what? Elliot, Elliot is the closest to Nate's peer, I think, in the group in a weird way. Uh, Sophie is, but whenever you're in a relationship someone, with someone, you're somewhat compromised. Uh, I think Elliot trusts Nate, but is suspicious that Nate has had a lot of bad habits that Elliot is very aware of. Okay. You know, To a great degree, Elliot can never stop being aware of his friend's weaknesses because that's what he's there to protect them from. Mm -hmm. So that's, he's concerned about that. It was probably a little more glary than I thought. It, 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 that we had a couple different takes. We probably landed with the glariest one. Whereas it, it might, you might want to back off that glare about fifteen percent. Yeah, it was, it was the changeover to me. Is yeah. the sort of, he's sort of amused by the, by the brush off, but then, yeah. you know, this guy had better not be spinning out like he's done in the past. Yeah, you know. And I like, I mean, for for an episode that was largely a very light comedic episode, I, I really enjoyed that we ended on a, on a slightly more, yeah, possibly even sinister, yeah. uh, you know, note. Well, John, you talked about weaknesses. Um, Allie asks, does Nate really think he doesn't have any weaknesses? And what do you think each of the crew members' biggest weaknesses Oh, God, are? no, he knows. Yeah, yeah so That was absolutely two guys kind of like 
you know, that was two guys saying, well, I've, I've never had a problem, you know, sexually no. you, no. right? No, 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 no. that's no. just a myth that happens to other, other men. That's, other guys, yeah. not me. Other no. guys, yeah. No, that was two guys totally kind of bullshitting each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nate is utterly aware that he's he, he, hubris, uh, obsessive compulsiveness, an emotional detachment, uh, an inherent cruelty. I mean, Nate's just not a nice guy. Well, the, the the original draft of that scene actually had Elliot enumerating Nate's weaknesses. weaknesses. Yeah. And, um, you know, Elliot, Nate, Nate says everybody has a weakness you can exploit, and Elliot says, "You mean like you're drinking?" And Nate says, "Yeah." And he says, "And your pride?" Yeah. And your and like and Tim and Kristen came to me when we were getting ready to shoot that, and they're just sort of like, and Tim's just like. Why don't I punch him in the face when he says all this? Like, there's a line, and this is this yeah. is a little bit. It was it was going with that same sort of sense of like two guys poking yeah. each other, and he was right. It was it was it was too far. It was all, yeah. all we left out was like making fun of the dead kid, and yeah. you know, then it's that's a bit uh, much. So yeah, exactly. So and 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 you know, and then the two of we worked out that that the, I think the yeah. two of them came up with that with that bit, and which was delightful, and I, yeah. I loved the hell out of and it. And it's closer so. to actually their actual relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's when you're in year five, that, that line, and by the way, it's not always a great thing, but that line between actor and character and stuff really begins to be the, to blur both for good and for ill. But in this particular case, for good. Well, kind of wrapping up, our last question comes from K's Ninja 17 who asks... Wow, that's a new one, K's Ninja. <laughs> is it K's? Is the ninja right. who works for K? Or is it, all right, or is it Kaze Ninja? It could be Kaze Ninja. Crazy crossover idea. What if the Leverage and Grimm shows had a crossover? They're both in Portland. What would happen? Well, we wouldn't show up because they shoot at night, and we're not, <laughs> we're not goddamn doing that. No, man. They, the, I, I could not have more sympathy for a single crew on Earth more than Grimm because literally every script starts with exterior forest night. God damn it! <laughs> rain. It's rain, <laughs> cold rain, CG shots. It's brutal. Those people are Spartans. Um, it would be fun to do. Oh, look, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some very good fanfics out there that already do the crossover <laughs> for you. I just, you, can you know, I'm it. sure it's, it's better than anything we'd come up with. It's you know, because it's a commitment to both shows. Well, I was, I was. What I love about that notion is that, like, as soon as we let fantasy into the leverage world, like, well, then all bets are off, yes. right? Because in my in my head, that episode ends with the TARDIS showing up and the Doctor gets out. Yeah. You know, and we're not doing that. Why? Because uh, one of the we're novels. Novels, novels, maybe. One of the novels. One of the novels. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I talk, I talk about Brad Sanderson's um, Mistborn series all the time. The first Mistborn book is one long fantasy heist. You know, Terry Pratchett has definitely walked around and done a bunch of those type of things. I mean, the, the genre, the, the caper and heist convention travels. So I'm sure you could spot well the two of them together. Well, unfortunately, we can't download, our fans can't download any Grim Meets Leverage TV episodes. But don't forget, Grifters, you can download all the season five <laughs> episodes from iTunes as they air, as well as all your old favorites. So on that note, we're well, you don't have any bonus questions. You always have. Like, well, I, I do have questions. some bonus questions. Go ahead, bonus wanna... questions. You get time. We get time. We're waiting for another phone call. <laughs> well, Oregon. <laughs> it's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be the pickup call. So if you're going to delay that, we don't hear. You know, we don't get picked up. But that's fine. <laughs> well, they, they can they can wait. Yeah, there you go. Oregon Lamb asks, did you ever consider naming one of the cheer teams the Badgers? One of the cheer teams was, in fact, the Badgers. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah? The uh, the it's hard to tell. I don't know. I don't know if you can tell explicitly in the episode. Uh, except for some of the voiceover, uh, but uh, the the team that's performing with the ready, ready, ready gag is uh, is in fact the Badgers. Oh God! Don't never bring that gag up again. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't know how else to define it. No, no, no. We had no, some no. back and forth on we that. Some, well, no, it was it was one of those things where it was a very specific timing bit, mm-hmm. and the problem is everyone had a different bit of timing in their head between Jeremy, myself, and the editor. So finally, we got all three of us together. And I'm like, all right, each one of us sing how we think this sounds. It's like, oh, all right, that's the oh, I totally get it now. Just, uh, just, wow, well, it was. That's not a, that's not three hours of my life I want back at all. <laughs> Is it ready two three or ready two three four yeah, two three? Was, oh yeah, it was not fun. It was there was some digging. Yeah. Well, I was gonna ask if one of you wanted to give us a leverage cheer before we sign no, up. No, no, move on. That's gonna be no. Uh, so our last question. Move on. I will from... cancel the show because you asked that. <laughs> yes. Before that happens. Uh, Margaret asks, if we're not getting a Sophie slap this season, what are the odds of? <laughs> what are the odds of? Yeah, there's some there's some stuff we're moving out for the fans. The fans are working some shit out. <laughs> So what are the odds of Elliot punching Nate in the face this season? Oh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I'm trying to remember if it... I'm trying to remember if something like that happens to D.B. Cooper. I haven't seen the final cut on that one. You know what's weird is that they actually... They're kind of split up in that back three because once you're out of... And then they're in seven because D.B. Cooper... uh, That's the most likely one. Seven... Elliot is paired with Sophie for most of the episode, yep. which is fun, and the fans mm-hmm. always love that. We don't do a ton of that. Uh, eight is the bottle show. Mm-hmm. We move that up, and the the it's that's Parker, all Parker, all the time. Yep. Oh boy, you guys are freaking love that one. It's, I can hear people <laughs> squeeing now. Um, boy, you got that. You're gonna, you're gonna and, then and then it's the, the finale. Then the finale, the which finale, is the split, yeah. which is the, uh, the our version of Go- Girls Night Out and Boys Night Out this year, which is uh, Nate and Sophie doing Nick and Nora, and uh, uh, Aldous, uh, Beth, and Christian doing um, like twenty-four slash Mission Impossible slash Strike Back because I'm just gonna say <laughs> I'm just gonna say Strike Back everything every strike time. Back everything Strike right Back now. with me right now. I could be happier. I don't. I think it's a slap-free summer for it's a slap-free a slap and punch-free summer. I will say I will say though for for those who want to see Sophie wailing on someone, I will say that there is a flower pot. In, uh, in in the summer season finale, in the, in the season finale, yeah, that, she's, that you can get excited about. So good in that, she's yeah. just ridiculously good in that episode. Yeah, that yeah. that one came out delightful. Yeah. Well, that's it for the Give Me a K Street Job podcast. Uh, tune in next week when we tackle episode 506, DB Cooper Oh, Job. man, that's going to be good. You won't want to miss it. Yep. Uh, and don't forget, fans, to send us your questions after the episode airs, either on the Leverage Facebook page or on Twitter with, Leverage, with hashtag Leverage10Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, Grifters, you can download the new Season 5 episodes from iTunes after they air, as well as all your old favorites. And be sure to check out the new Leverage Series Companion ebook, available for download on the iTunes Store.